Welcome to Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles political history podcast. I'm Jennifer Coron. And I'm Drew Gilbert. And we are officially back for season two. Man, we did it. I know some of y'all thought that James officially pulled the plug on us because we went so many weeks without episodes, but... Let me just say as an outsider, I've been in this office a lot more uh, than I ever have before. I don't ever see James. Does he work here? We don't either. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Got that covered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a now we are, now we are going to get pulled, you guys. We're going to come it's back a for rudderless one ship. <laughs> speaking oh, of James, God. speaking of James, I couldn't make it for the Connie interview. Exactly. James and filled in. James for had me. to fill in, and he had to fill in for our producer because he had to uh, go handle some official paper business. So, as you listen to this interview, you will hear Connie and I talking a lot for the first, I think it's twenty twenty five minutes, and James has the computer screen pulled up and is making sure that we're still recording. Yeah. Uh, so, James, we're going to introduce. Hey, James is here, and then you're not going to hear James for a while. He's still here. He's just. Well, actually, he was on his phone a lot, and I'm not sure if the phone had to do with actually keeping up with what was happening with the podcast, or if he was just on his phone. He was rolling through that he was Facebook his, feed. He was on his phone a lot, and he was also seeming to be managing the thing that Jeffrey left in his supposedly capable hands. So, and the reason that there was all this chaos, I should point out, is because when you can land Connie Rowe, mm-hmm. you and just, the session is you on. do the interview. Mm-hmm. So that's where we were. Um, I don't remember what I was even doing, but it was apparently super important. Right. We knew that you couldn't be here, but that we were yeah. going to do the Connie episode anyway. It was brew day. Um, brew day. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I it actually turned out, uh, it's an interesting conversation. I went in wanting to ask her, um, about not about her bills or any of the things with, I think, I think she came prepared to talk about some of that stuff. She was like, I'm in prison mode. You want to yeah, talk about that? That's all they're ever interviewed on. Um, she didn't do her education on this podcast because that was not <laughs> what we intended to talk about at all. Um, I went back and did our, our deep dive as we try to do on most of the guests. And Connie very rarely talks about Connie's story. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had a, a significant career in, in the law enforcement field and now the political field. But there's not a lot of bio of Connie Rowe out there. She doesn't really... Um, She's more on relevance, which is what she told me. She's, she would way more be relevant in Montgomery than necessarily she would, um, you know, be playing the game and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, highlighting the story and that kind of a thing. So that's what we tried to do. You know, we tried to talk to her about some of the things that I didn't think she'd ever been asked to talk about before on as part of her personal life uh, and make that a part of the record. So. It went in a direction I don't think she realized it was going in, but I think it was a really interesting direction, and she really, true to form, uh, opened up and talked about it. So. Well, now you got me excited. Let's uh, well, let's listen to that let's thing. Let's listen to you. We are here with uh, esteemed publisher James Phillips filling in for Drew Gilbert, who had a scheduling conflict. Uh, rest assured, we have not fired Drew. No. Um Drew is and safe. we do not want James to have to do this too many more times. Right. So and we're Jeffrey, gonna work on that. Our producer Jeffrey has the sensor button ready, so in case I drop any f bombs or anything like that, mm-hmm. he can bleep it. Right. And and I'm I'm afraid our guest today we may need the sensor button as well. Well, I'm prepared to be adulting hard because our guest today. Would you like to introduce her since y'all are pretty close? Well, yeah. I mean, we've been called boyfriend and girlfriend at times. It's a little <laughs> creepy. <laughs> beep beep. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't tell John Rowe that. But you know, our our guest today is House of Representatives member Connie Rowe from Jasper, former Jasper Police Chief, mm-hmm. and a good friend of not only mine but of the entire Daily Mountain Eagle, and also a former employee of the Daily Mountain Eagle as well. Yes, yes, the youngest family living editor that the Daily Mountain Eagles ever had. I was a senior in high school. Well, there you go. So, you know, Jennifer kind of followed in your footsteps. Mm-hmm. Was not aware of that. Yes, yeah. yes. I started here when I was 15 years old as a photographer, a sports photographer, and then slowly started creeping into writing. And then I was a typesetter back before, <laughs> you know, we came around to this century. Um where you typed everything up and actually cut and pasted See, and all that stuff. This is not information stuff. I even had in my notes. <clears throat> well, I you know. I I'm didn't know any of this. Very diverse woman. Uh, now, Miss Rowe, you do like to cuss. Um, so I, well, I want you to you do you. <laughs> so let's start with a couple of things. Beep, beep. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we. Don't call we, me Miss Rowe. It makes me feel old. So let's okay. just go with. Representative Rowe? Let's just go with Connie. Connie? Okay. Yeah. And as Connie, far you as, like to cuss. And as far as liking to cuss, I don't, I don't think that's a fair statement because. Um, having been in law enforcement for a very long period of time in my life, uh, what you learn in communications is that uh, you are not received well by your audience unless you speak their language. You just cannot effectively communicate with people unless you can communicate with them at whatever level it is that they communicate. And so in the course of uh, particularly being a female and wanting to sound uh, convincingly in control of things, sometimes you borrow some words from people who are different from you and were raised different from you and who are different people than you and they are really hard to lay down when they are effective Mm -hmm. and so um i am selective with a group of people with whom um i use bad words okay Uh, (laughs) but yeah sometimes i just say you do you it's a very we have to put an explicit content label on this episode (laughs) we've just let the cat out of the bag dot Cooner probably did not know that Connie's Ooh. mom. She probably did not know that. Is she, she going to listen to this words. podcast? I'm sure she will. Okay. Yeah, she's all about the Daily Mountain. Eagle. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm very selective. I mean, when I'm when I have a friend that I'm very comfortable with, I'm very much me, 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 me. Uh, but you know, I, I save that. I save that. Well, I bring for that up because moments. if Drew was here, he would tell the story that when y'all met, you introduced yourself how to him. Um, I don't recall. That you say Greg reads cuss words for him. I do say Greg reads cuss words for yes. him. Yes. Greg Reed is one of the nicest human beings I have ever, ever met. And um, he he is a very nice, nice person. And he doesn't know bad words. Mm-hmm. And so when bad things happen sometimes and I see him looking for a way to effectively communicate with someone who is good at bad words, I step in and do the bad word for him. There right. you go. Yeah. And now, here's the question, though. Since we're talking about language, who has the worst language? Is it police officers, criminals that you've dealt with, or is it legislators? Pretty close. That's what I thought. Pretty close. Um, and I bet if you made it to Washington, it'd be even worse. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably. But... um you know, I, I really feel that way about effective communication. And, right. You know, and I learned a lot of, of really bad words uh, <laughs> along the way and um, and how you can effectively communicate with those with some people. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to lay down after a long period yeah. of time. Right. But in Montgomery, there have been moments when they were very effective in communicating. <laughs> but James as far will tell you, as, I didn't know cuss words when I started here. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Jennifer was such a sweet, <clears throat> innocent person until she well, started working here. As far as children and 
grandparents and parents and general public conversations, I store all the little bad words in a box and put a lock on it. But there you go. Am I capable? Yeah, I'm capable. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> well. Not really proud of it, but yeah. yeah. We'll see how this goes. Just, okay. I'm giving you the invitation. You do you, and we'll, we'll bleep as necessary. So. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so I, didn't, I had no idea when I signed on for this that we were diving into this right off the yeah, bat. I told you we were going to keep it light in here. So... For real, let's start with your backstory because as you and I just spoke about before we started recording, there's not a lot of that. I have that you started with the Jasper Police Department when you were 21. That's correct. That's right. So why law enforcement? What brought you into law enforcement? Well, it really didn't have a lot to do with law enforcement. Um, At the time that I took the test to try to get on with Jasper Police Department as a patrol officer, they had a position within the department uh, that was a public relations oh, okay. role. So they had someone that was full-time dedicated to press releases. Uh, when the press came in in the morning to go over, at that time we didn't do it electronically, uh, all of the reports from the weekend, uh, gathering up information, doing um, all your community affairs work, where if you had something at the police department, you did tours with Boy Scouts, or you know if you had some kind of community outreach thing where you went and spoke to a group, that that was one person's full-time job, and that was very, very attractive to me. And having come from um, as early as 21, not only had I worked here at the Daily Mountain Eagle, but I'd also done radio news at that time, AM radio news. I'd interacted with that person, and I knew that they were getting ready to retire. And I thought, well, you know what? You've got to be a police officer to assume that role, Mm -hmm. so I need to be a police officer. And then maybe I get a shot at that job when and if this gentleman decides to retire. And so... I took the test, scored real well, got hired, um, and worked night shift patrol. And when the gentleman did retire, they did away with the position. Oh, <laughs> so, so you never got to do the job. <clears throat> no, I never got to do that job. And that's fine because, you know, God has a plan. And as it, as it were, um, that taking that test and going to work for Jasper Police Department led to my job at the district attorney's office for 22 years in criminal investigations and then led me back eventually to Jasper Police Department right. as their chief. So great place to start, though I had no idea uh, the path that I was setting my feet into. Um, but, yeah, it really didn't have a lot to do with, oh, my word, I want to be a police officer. So how long until you made the jump to the DA's office then? <clears throat> how long does that mean you were at JPD? I went to – I started at Jasper in 84 or 5. I can't remember. Um, and I was there for – two or three years and my son was born okay or our, my pregnancy came about my husband and I were uh, wanted a child and um we've been married for I think we married the same year I went to Jasper Police Department and and finally after about three years we had a pregnancy so the only child I've ever brought into this world and uh, I worked uh, at the police department up until I think probably my seventh month of pregnancy something like that and um I didn't go back I stayed home for a year with my son because I knew it was going to be the only child I had. Mm -hmm. And I felt like despite all the other things you'll do in life, this year investment will probably be the best investment you make. Right. And so um, I stayed home for a year and was very poor uh, during that time. (laughs) And um, his dad was a fireman um, and uh, struggled through that year, but would not take anything, anything for the 12-month investment I made of being home with my son. And then when I went back to work, I went to the DA's office in criminal investigation. So 
that's kind of how that happened. Okay. So one thing I had that I was going to ask you about is you've had a lot of first in your career. So you were the first female investigator at the DA's office, yes? Yes. And then you became Jasper's first female police chief. Yes. Uh, I imagine you were the first female uh, representative from this from this area. Yeah, and, and Walker then, R. Blunt, yeah. And then in 2016, you became the first female to um, – to be in a, uh, a leadership position elected by the Republican caucus. You were uh, vice chair of the Alabama House Republican caucus. That's right. I assume still are, yes. possibly. Um, so I just wanted to mention all of those first, but also just get your thoughts on what that means. Because from some of your other, the articles, like when you became Jasper's first police chief, for example, you made the explicit statement, you know, I hope I didn't get the job just because I'm a woman. So this is not something that you like carry around with you I'm sure you're honored by it but like you don't want to be the token female at any of these things no because let me tell you how I feel about um women's equality issues if you really want to be equal Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with being treated special right if what you really want is a level playing field it doesn't mean you want to be put on a platform Mm -hmm. um so no I certainly hope that not any of the first doors that I walk through, I walk through because I was a woman. Um, there's just something insulting about that mm-hmm. to me. Um, what uh, I do believe is that those first are significant, not so much for me, but for any person who sees someone serve in a role that is untraditional. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes that a real possibility for someone who has something in common with the person that stepped through the door. Right. For example, when I was at the police department, uh, I wasn't a Girl Scout, uh, but I remember going to a Girl Scout event, and uh, one of the parents said, <clears throat> was like, we really appreciate you coming by, and what do you think the significance of this is? And I said, there's not a little girl here that will ever think anything unusual about seeing a woman in uniform, mm-hmm. ever. That will, that's, that's no longer... Well, that's that happens. It happens maybe somewhere away from me, mm-hmm. but now that's normal. Right, and it just normalizes somebody in a unique role per their gender. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's probably the most significant thing. You know, there's there's not a lot of women in law enforcement, um, and 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 I, I certainly hope that that's the case. I certainly now, hope but you've had a little opposition along the way. I found a couple of. of quotes in that Yellowhammer article that I mentioned to you, like when you first started at the police department, for example, there was a little bit of opposition to you being a female trainee. And yes. I understand there was also a campaign story one time when you were going around yes. politicking. There was, so you have had, I don't know if you, how much you want to share about either of those, but you have had some, some pushback, shall we say. Well, when I went to night shift at Jasper Police Department, um, I remember my training officer telling me, look, I got you because nobody else wanted a 21-year-old female. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and it was great. A- again, that was, you know, God has a plan. Uh, he was a great friend of mine um, and, and was very supportive of me and taught me a lot of things that, you know, maybe some other training officer wouldn't have taught me. Um, and, uh, you know, it all works out. It all works out. Long as, you know, long as I got the job, long as I had a training officer, long as I was able to stay there. But, you know, this is, you know, I have a son, so I always think of things in terms of, of him. Mm-hmm. And, and what, I, what I find interesting sometimes is women will say, oh, 
you know, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. It was so hard. It was so this or that. Hey, listen, the struggle's real for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for everybody. You know, there's it's, it's not like if you take uh, men and say, oh, you know, they don't win every race. They don't get elected every time. They right. don't get every promotion. They don't get hired every time. So, you know, I'm just... Um, I'm just not real taken by the fact um, that I'm a woman and and I've done some first. I am thankful that I was raised in a home where nobody ever said to me, oh, no, you're not going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to do that. And I never thought about it. I I never thought about it as a unique or a bra-burning experience or any of those things. It was just... Well, you know, if I could get on at the police department, I might could get that really great job right. in, in public relations. And, you know, God, that would really speak to me because uh, that career, your career path does speak to me. And um, that'd be great. And um, it, it just it just was never about, well, I'm going to do this because a woman's never done It's just breaking ground. Never about that. Never about that. It just so happens that I'm the first that did it. Uh, didn't think about it when I ran. Didn't think about it when I tested for police chief. Um, and, you know, if that is the driving factor behind you doing things, I, I don't know. That's just not who I am. Right. That's just not who I am. But So let's talk about your political journey then. Um, yes. <laughs> I think you told me one time that you helped start or were at least early on with, like, the Young Republicans or something at um, Walker College. Let's see. I graduated from high school in 1981, so I'm going to guess it was 1982. I do remember that Emory Falmer was the Republican candidate for governor that year. And a teacher of mine uh, uh, and a friend of mine today um, who had been my teacher in both in junior high school and in high school, uh, Vicki Drummond, mm-hmm. uh, who holds the national office with the right. RNC, uh, she asked me to consider starting a group of young Republicans at, at Walker College. And uh, Jim McClain, who uh, was a lifelong friend of mine who died a couple of years ago, um, he helped me, and we had a little tiny group of young Republicans and um, a couple of events. Uh, I think Mrs. Uh, Falmer came here one time for an event, and, uh, uh, yeah, we all wore Emory for governor. So you, were you inheriting, like, your parents' politics, or this is all this is all you? you were oh, just... no, that was all me. Okay. That was all me. But but I had the freedom to do that. Right. Um no, no, not my, not my parents' politics. Gotcha. I mean, I can remember all of my life, my parents being blo- blo- involved in local politics. Um, I can remember, and I can't think of this. I'm, I'm not positive about the school, but I think it was uh, Red Mill School, mm-hmm. which is no longer in existence. Right. I think it was Red Mill School, but I'm not 100% positive that. I'd have to ask my mom tonight to re- help me remember. Um but I can remember being handed on stage and was little enough to be handed on stage to George Wallace and sat in his lap in a photo. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I mean, they've always been involved, Mm -hmm. not just in politics, but both my parents were always involved in whatever it was that was going on. And so that wasn't, that wasn't new to me. That wasn't new to pick a horse, you know, and support that and, and to, volunteer for this and to be a part of that and you know that that just 
that just was kind of the family I was raised in. Very small family, by the way. But nonetheless, um, that was not abnormal to me on any level to say, yeah, I'll do that. Or, yeah, let's do that. Was it the Reagan years? Did that help influence a little bit? Are you a big Reagan supporter? Is that what was going on? The Reagan years did influence me. Um, That was the first presidential election I voted in, and I voted for him. And also, um, in 1984, um, in the spring... I went up and spent some time uh, in Congressman Bevel's office and lived on Capitol Hill and got to see politics from from that angle. It was a year the Hart Building uh, opened on the Senate side, uh, so I think that was 1984. And I lived across the street uh, from the Hart Building in a place called Thompson Markward Hall, um, which many folks who go up there and work uh, for a short stint uh, on Capitol Hill work. It was, you had to be a federal employee. You had to be a female to mm-hmm. live there. Uh, but I could walk to work. I, every morning walked across the street into the Hart Building, went downstairs, got on the tram, rode across to the Capitol, uh, walked upstairs, crossed the rotunda, heard all of the speeches from the tour guides, mm-hmm. and then went downstairs on the house side, rode the tram over to the Rayburn Office House building where Congressman Bevel was. And he was a very powerful person at that time in, in Washington. He was always a very powerful person, but that was probably the apex of um, uh, of some of his most influential years uh, was during that time. It was a good time to be there. And um, it was a fantastic experience. It was the year the uh, Beach Boys played on the mall for the 4th of July. It was the year that the MASH exhibit opened at the Smithsonian. It was the year that the Summer Olympians, including Rowdy Gaines from Auburn, uh, came to the White House uh, as honored guests. And all the uh, federal employees had a not a front row seat, but pretty dadgum close to front row seat uh, to, enjoy, uh, to enjoy that. And uh, it's just a good time. Um, cats open. Uh, Prince debuted um, Purple Rain. I mean, it was a good time. It was a it was a good place to be, and I absolutely can promise you, it shaped my life. Were you an intern? Is that what you is that what yes. you did, like an internship? It was like an internship, um, and did every. I can tell you the most disappointing thing that's ever happened to me in politics happened the day I went to work in his office, and I walked in and I said, "Well, okay, what do you want me to do?" And they said, "Well." come over here and they opened a little closet door very similar to the closet door I'm facing in this room right now and said we need you to sign some letters for him and I said well I can't write like he does mm-hmm. and he said oh no listen we got this fantastic machine right. called a signature machine right. and they open it up and there's a light table with a very distinct black line on it and um, this mechanical arm and above it was a shelf full of fresh pens and different colors of ink and uh they showed you how to load the pen, and then you sat there and, like, on a sewing, an old pedal sewing machine, you pressed the pedal, and the pen came down and signed his name. And I thought, how many times have I seen my dad say, hey, Tom wrote me a letter. Mm-hmm. And, look, he actually wrote it because he signed it. Right. And I was just devastated (laughs) that that none of that was as sincere as I thought it was Mm -hmm. and lots and lots of other people did yeah (laughs) so this is why um when you first announced that you were running for the house seat uh you you said or maybe it was the reporter a lot of people were surprised by that and you actually said they shouldn't be people shouldn't be surprised that you had decided to go into politics because this was this had kind of been part of your story for so long, I'm guessing, in the service aspect and all that kind of a thing. Well, I remember the first time I ever thought about it, 
and it was when Tom Hogan was a member of the House of Representatives. And he actually came by my office one day uh, when I was working in the courthouse just really to talk. I think he was there to see the district attorney. And uh, we talked for a few minutes, and he talked about just what the job was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I could do that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or an Indian chief. You know, you might could... You might, you might could do that. And I actually thought about it. Um, I was real taken with state history and mm -hmm. with state government. Uh, in the fourth grade, before they loaded all the kids up and took them to Montgomery, my dad actually took me down there because I was so into the buildings and the history and uh, just the significance and the different state capitals and all of those things. And on my desk in Montgomery today... Um, I have a photograph that my dad made of me standing in front of the Capitol when I was nine years old. And so I had I had this thing about Montgomery mm -hmm. that I was very, very interested in the dynamics of it. And I had always been told by many a political operative that, you know, politics is politics. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to local politics, very similar to what goes on on the federal level as far as relationships and as far as the process and things like that. So... Um, I had, I had entertained it in the back of my mind, but I'd never been very vocal about it because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how much money it took to do it. I didn't know what my possibilities were mm -hmm. or any of those things. So, um, But it just kind of fell into place. And, and, you know, again, not that I'm God's sent to be a legislator, but I do think God has a plan. And a door and an opportunity opened for me to, uh, to walk through it. And I walked through it because of my father. Um, we had chatted about it. We had talked about it a good bit. And uh, the Wednesday night before qualifying ended on Friday, I came down the hallway at the time. Uh, he and my mom were living in the home with us. And he said, so are you going to do it? And I said, hey, Friday's when it closes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, it feels like a gamble to me because, you know, you roll the dice. You know, you don't know anything about the process. There's no polling. There's no name recognition. There's no, you don't really know where you are. Uh, I want to do it, mm -hmm. but I'm just afraid to do it. And he said, don't ever be in your 80s and think back about an opportunity that God gave you that you didn't take. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got up the next morning and drove to Birmingham and qualified. Boom. There you go. And uh, had the least amount of money of anybody who won or lost in either party in the primary. I had, I can't remember the dollar figure if I quoted it. We can look it up. It'd be wrong. But had the least amount of money. My votes totaled. If you divide the votes into the amount of money that you had were $4.74. Mm. It was the lowest in the state. At the same time, uh, Speaker Hubbard's were the most expensive. I think they were 400 and something dollars. And you're vote. taking on an incumbent, which, is, which has the party support, which is its yes. own kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I knew that, and I didn't hold it again. And plus, I, I came in late. Mm -hmm. There were already a lot of people that I had good relationships with and knew really well and had known many, many years but they were already committed, you know, and I, I accepted that. Um, I really high-roaded that, um, uh, and that's hard to do sometimes because, you know, this person went to school with you or this person uh, your parents have done business with and you've done business with, but, hey, that's just politics. You know, that's just how it works. And so instead of worrying about who was already committed in that race, I just worked on everybody who wasn't committed, um, and I just kind of let that go. Uh, and, again, it was my dad's advice. I'd come in and say, you're not going to believe this. Mm -hmm. But so-and-so, you know, they're really big supporters for the other guy. And he'd say, take the high road, even when it's steep. And that's great advice in politics and very hard to do sometimes, particularly when races turn ugly. And m mine was pretty intense. Right. And I just kept smiling and kept asking people to vote for me. And um, 
very, very thankful for the advice and very thankful for the result. So what was the secret then? How did y'all bring the campaign together? I mean, what, <laughs> what put you over the top? Um, the will of the people. I, I, I just was very fortunate, just very, very fortunate. I had, um, I had worked in the public all of my life, as had my parents. And um, I, I can tell you that after I had won, uh, a pollster came to me in Montgomery and said, man, I've never wanted to call somebody so bad in my life. He said, but now everything's over. He said, I'm going to tell you this. He said, your name recognition in Walker County is is high. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I'm, I'm sure it's because you're from there. And I said, well, it's probably because of James Phillips at the Daily Mountain <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I feel like I owe him my political career because – uh, when I'd gone to the police department as chief, we had um, tried to change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We had a public perception issue for the department. And um, even though my name wasn't in every article and every article wasn't about me, uh, it actually a lot of times featured my men or equipment or something we were trying to do or a particular team we were putting together, this, that, and the other. Uh, I've absolutely no doubt that that name, rec- that that name recognition didn't help me. And, of course, Nobody at the Daily Mountain Eagle, nor myself, during that period of time, were entertaining the fact that at some point I might run. Right. I didn't have any intentions of running. I was focused on that police department, uh, you know, 12 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, that's all I was worrying about. But again, I tell you that God has a plan. Um, It's interesting to me that, you know, I can look back at every job I've ever had and in reflection can tell you that, uh, my prior work history at some level prepared me for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Charles Baker asked me to take at the DA's office, asked me to take the check unit, I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to deal with money. I don't want to deal with auditors from the examiner's office. I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not why I'm here. And um, that experience actually really helped me when I went to the police department. And then the practical application of that at the police department really helped me when I got to Montgomery and we started talking budgets and and um, examiner of public accounts and state funds and public funds and issues like that. When Jennifer, uh, Connie mentioned about the name recognition and things like that, but I think what should be focused on in that is that the relationship that we built was for the good of the paper and the good of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a lot of really positive stories that came out during that time about the police department but there were also a lot of really negative stories that came out during that Mm -hmm. time as well and so connie never faltered whether it was a good thing or a bad thing she was open to talk to the press and and that relationship i think it was a good thing for the paper for sure but it was a better thing for the community because the community knew what was happening and they knew that they could trust the leadership at that police department because they were open and honest about things that were going Mm -hmm. on you know look it is what it is right and 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 i'm a real big believer and you can't fix your problems until you identify your problems Mm -hmm. and so laying it out there for hey we got some issues but we've got some solutions Mm -hmm. i think i think that's the way that you approach business and um was glad um, that I had an opportunity to really let people know mm-hmm. uh, because good Lord knows what social media can do to a problem. Mm-hmm. And so why not just lay it out there and just be real honest about right. it? Um, now, you want to know when I first met Connie Rowe? Oh, I thought that was going to be one of those, we can't tell those stories. I can tell this okay. one. She was working in the district attorney's office at that time, and I was a younger um, reporter. Probably like sports? Cover, well, I was actually in news at that point okay. and was covering some trials, and she was working as an assistant during a trial. 
And the first thing I remember about her is that she had a rat tail <laughs> that went all the way down her back. And I thought, this has got to be a cool person. <laughs> if she's working in the district attorney's office and she has a, you know, four foot long rat tail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I can tell you how that rat tail became so long. Um, at one point in time, before I went to work in the district attorney's office, um, that hairstyle was a very popular thing. Ah. And um, I applied and got hired in the district attorney's office. And the first day I went in, I had um, another person in the DA's office, which will remain unnamed, stop me and say, you're going to have to cut that hair off. And I said, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I said, man, I'm here for the job. That's, this is a hairstyle. I, I can do without it. Um, I said, it's, I'm not married to it. It's no personal statement or anything. It's just how I'm hair. And I went on down the hall and stepped into the district attorney's office, the actual district attorney's office, and um, we had a conversation about where I was going to work and what I was going to be doing that day and uh, so forth and so on. And I said, as I started to leave, I said, hey, listen, I, I didn't realize the hair was an issue, but it's no problem. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, if you got a pair of scissors, I'll cut it off right now, I said. But um, I, I didn't realize it, but, man, don't worry about that. I'm, I'm good. I just want this job really bad. And he said, what are you talking about? And so I told him what had happened mm-hmm. as I came into the office. And he said, don't ever cut that rat tail off <laughs> as long as you work with me. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Nobody tells anybody else That was else someone else's personal <laughs> preference. <laughs> yeah, so so we laughed about it many times. And um came in handy as um, not a lot of women were um, available to work dope in mm-hmm. the state. And um, ABC... Uh, used to cover widespread panic concerts and uh, I, I worked undercover and, and was, could be really undercover with mm-hmm. a rat tail because who would expect Not somebody you. in law enforcement, you know, to, uh, to have a, to have a rat tail like that. So I worked for a long time and I got a lot of ribbon about it and a lot of ragging about it. And it just made me enjoy it that much more. Uh, because, you know, if, uh, if you're not paying my bills or helping me raise my child or, or somebody who's really, really important to me, why should my hairstyle matter to Affect you? Affect you at all. Yeah, but um, I cut it off the night before I went to work as chief at Jasper because I felt like I needed to set an example of um, of um, the tradition and respect that comes with wearing uniform and wearing it well and presenting yourself to the public in a way that is um, non-offensive. And... Um, I just felt like uh, there had been a time and a place for it, and I still have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but my husband actually cut it off for me uh, the night before I took my first step into the building as the chief. And uh, don't regret that. I mean, it I was, did not know this at all. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was uh, well, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I got hired with it. Right. I got hired as chief with it. But um, I don't know. In some way, it just felt disrespectful for the uniform. Uh, something a little too trendy, something a little too personal, and certain, certainly something that would set you apart. Mm-hmm. And that's that was not my job. And so um, I just I walked into the bedroom and I said, "You got to cut it off." And he said, "Really?" And I said, "It's hair, man. I can always grow it back. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel like I just don't think it's the role of a chief." Right. And uh, so we cut it off, and I tied a rubber band around it and laid it in a little box and I haven't taken it out one time and cried about it so you know it's hair <laughs> you know has nothing to do with what's really going on here right. so why, why would it be a big deal <clears throat> and so after that Connie becomes police chief and then we get to know each other actually mm-hmm. um, from that point on because I worked a lot of the, the police beat at right. that point 
Uh, and so we went through a lot of different things at the Jasper Police Department. Yes, and then did. I was actually living in Mississippi when she decided to run for office. Mm-hmm. So oh, I that's had right. nothing to do with the race. That's didn't, right. I remember no, that. he wasn't yeah. even here. I wasn't here at all. Mm-hmm. So in fact, I think he called me and said something like, have you lost your mom? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was a conversation. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I think that's something that a lot of people don't don't think about though especially in the environment that we're in now people think that you know politicians and the press like this is an adversarial kind of a thing and maybe at the national level it looks like that but at the local level it can't really be that way like you can't really have that enemy of the people type mindset you know i mean i don't think that can happen at all and you have to do a job both of you have to do a job Local examples are are easy to name of that. Just if you looked at at Greg Reed and looked at James Phillips and looked at our political thoughts, Mm -hmm. we would not come together on a lot of those things. But Greg Reed and that is the understatement of the podcast. But Greg (laughs) Reed and James Phillips are great friends. Right. And he has supported me throughout my career as much as anyone. Mm -hmm. And I've supported him as well. Because we have that understanding and we work well together. And uh, just like Connie now being in Montgomery, I take a trip to Montgomery at least once or twice during a session um, every time just so I can have a presence in Montgomery. I was actually there this past week because Mm -hmm. there was a bill that was affecting uh, newspapers and Connie was on the committee. Uh, And so we have that relationship and it's an important thing, not just... For the sake of newspapers, right? But for the sake of our community, people need to know what's going on in Montgomery, and we're the people that tell them that. That's right. Know? And and they can read about it on social media all they want, and on different websites and things like that. But in Jasper, Alabama, the Daily Mountain Eagle is the trusted source for news. Mm-hmm. And well, Connie even said that this week while she was in Montgomery. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> On the law enforcement side, so I just read the, a book by the Ferguson police chief, the guy who got ousted after that whole situation in Ferguson, and I found it was interesting, um, you know, his version of events versus, you know, how it played nationally through the media and stuff like that. But he actually specifically mentioned that the local reporters knew what they had been doing in terms of, like, the community relations and stuff like that. They knew what had been going on on the ground before the Michael Brown shooting. And so um, he would uh, he would talk to anybody who would talk to him. Some of the some of the national stations just didn't want to talk to him. But specifically he used his local outlets when they were trying to get a message out because those relationships that he had and they had the context that the national media didn't um, obviously that didn't spin the story one way or another, but from his perspective, he felt like his his voice as the department spokesperson wasn't getting through and the local media helped do that. And I think there are examples of that locally that that we have lived through that when a story gets out of hand, as it's so easy to do when you're, you know, the police chief in the era of social media, it helps to have those relationships to be able to say, this is what's going on. I know this is what's being reported in the TV and that kind of a thing, but this, you're not hearing about, you know, X, Y, and Z that's going on. So I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, we had some pretty hardcore issues laid out when I first got there. And it was great to know somebody well enough to say, 
okay, sit down, let me tell you what's going on. Mm -hmm. And for you to have a relationship good enough and a trust good enough between you that, that, you know, uh, you could just be that open and honest. And, um, you know, most all things go back to relationships. And, um, I mean, that's why I think you need to, to work on good ones, particularly when you're in a, a public position, um, so that you have the, you just have that avenue open. Now, this is something that um, that Senator Reid and Drew and I talked about when he left here. We intended to talk to him about it if he comes back for this season. But how do you get the message out to the voters now that you're in office? Like, what's the best way to to connect? Because he was even talking about his coverage area. So in certain counties, you know, like the newspaper isn't the source like they don't have that so he has to use different avenues and that kind of thing so what do you find is the most effective way to let people know what's going on well it's really difficult because um there are some people in in my home county here that that i'm only going to be able to contact through like the daily mountain eagle mm -hmm. and then there's some people here in my home county and in blunt county which i also have part of that that the only way I'm going to contact them or have interaction with them is through social media. Mm -hmm. And then the best contact and, and the most significantly impactful contact, I think, comes through one-on-one -on -one contact. And Senator Reid has a huge area to cover. I think he has five different mm -hmm. counties, and I do not know how he does it. Um, because I just have a portion of Walker and a very small portion of Blunt. But it's hard. I mean, it's it's very hard to make every meeting of every significant issue and uh, a lot of that I, I do you know by telephone uh, I'm as many places as I can be as often as I can be mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean you miss some things that you really should have been at you really needed to be at um, but you know and, and then on top of that you know some people have another job which I don't this is what I do all the time and then of course we all have families right and a variety of things can go on that you know that have to be dealt with mm -hmm. and so it's difficult, but what I try to do is uh, as much one-on-one -on -one contact as I possibly can. Um, I don't have my phone here with me, but, you know, I've always got a stack of emails, a stack of text messages, and a stack of phone calls that I've missed and need to return. Um, so that's, um, th that's you know, that's, that's you, you just do the best you can do. And hopefully, if you do enough, you know, it rises to the surface of people's attention. And so I just make as much contact as I personally can with folks. And, and you know, in the, all of the ways that you can imagine that you do that. Right. Uh, but, you know, absolutely, and, and I said this in a hearing the other day, and I'm not, this was, this was not a scheduled conversation we were going to have or anything else like that. But in this county, um, the coverage, uh, whether or not it's covered in the Daily Mountain Eagle, is, is important. Um, for example, last week I dropped a bill that's Governor Ainsworth's, Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth's bill uh, that has to do with capital murder cases. And um, several media outlets were there, and it was on AL.com. But if that doesn't run the Daily Mountain Eagle, there's a whole bunch of people here that doesn't know that. I mean, mm -hmm. they probably won't passes. But, I mean, that's just, you know, that, that right. that's just different, you know, media outlets. Um, and that's that's good because what I'm really interested in is if it passes, you know, if I, if I can get it passed and people know about it. And because of the 22 years I spent in the DA's office on this bill in particular, I know most of the victims that are that are in those capital murder cases where we have people on death row. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to meet, reach out and make some personal contact. And maybe everybody else is not real interested in that, you know, at this point. But um, it does all 
all boil down to how in contact you are with your local media, how in contact you are with all of the people that you serve. And I've got like 45,000 people that I answer to. And then how available you are to them. And, you know, yes, are you going to disappoint some people sometime when uh, you didn't call when they expected you to call? Or, you know, a lot of times if they send a message and don't specifically tell me to call back, I don't call back. Mm -hmm. Because that's about two hours a day when we're in session of nothing but returning phone calls and texting people back and things like that. So just any way and every way that that, that I come across. Uh, I don't study it quite as hard as some people do because I think the most important thing that you do once you're elected in Montgomery is relevance. Mm -hmm. And uh, relevance doesn't always mean you're headlining. Uh, Relevance always means that you're working uh, and that you're essential to the uh, to the operation of either making something fly or killing something. And um, so that's that's more important to me than media coverage. But media coverage that lets people know what I'm doing and why I'm right. doing it at home is much more important to me than, like, statewide media. James, do you have anything else for your friend, Representative Rowe? I don't think so. I think we've covered, you know, I'm trying to be nice and not you gotta bring ask, up anything. you got to ask me, like, five quick, quick questions. So <laughs> you didn't ask me, so I'll ask you. Right. Where's your favorite place to go eat with me? Oh, yeah, my favorite place to go eat with Connie is Cuisine in Summerton. <laughs> We go there constantly <laughs> because now the thing is nobody nobody in her family likes Chinese food, uh-huh. no. and so I'm the only person that will go eat Chinese food with her. Yeah, and so it's a good say, spot. We can get away from Jasper to actually talk some uh, that's some, some, some gossip about everybody. He'll say, "Hey, listen, we probably need to talk," and I'll say, "Well, you know the you know the spot, <laughs> you know our booth, <laughs> yeah, you know our booth number in the corner in the back." And I won't make fun of her for how much she piles on her plate, and she won't make fun of me for the that's same our thing. promise when we go in. Right. Nobody brings up the diabetes or anything like that. You're not going to judge me or tell anybody if we go back like three times. Right. right? And she's never made fun of me one time for a whole plate of red jello. No. (laughs) Not one time because it's, you know, there are some circumstances in which, you know, it's just, you know, it's just whoever's there and there's, there's no talk about it. Right. We hope you enjoyed uh, our conversation with. With Connie Rowe. So Connie's just one of my favorites, and I really can we get her back in because I don't wasn't here and I'm sad I know now. You're sad. And um, I I love her, mm-hmm. and I missed I missed interview. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, Connie's super receptive. I'm very fortunate now. I didn't really technically ever get to use Connie because uh, you know Cordova's in in Wadsworth mm-hmm. district. Uh, I had a great relationship with Senator Reed. Uh, he's a Cordova boy who raised up. Uh, but you know, I, didn't, I wasn't in Connie's district. Right now, my family owns a business in Connie's district, so I like. I'm like, hey, I kind of mm-hmm. like technically get to bend your ear every mm-hmm. once in a while, right? And uh, she's super receptive. Um, you know, we have a lobbying body. Our industry right. does in in Montgomery, and anytime we have bills going to the floor for us or some bills that maybe we don't love, um, I always shoot her a text. I'm like, hey, just be looking for this. This is how it impacts us here mm-hmm. on a local level. And uh, Connie doesn't drink. She's not coming in there to have a beer with me. Uh, but she understands she has two small businesses in her district that this could either adversely affect or positively affect. And uh, she's been so receptive to that, and, and I'm very appreciative for that. Well, you heard in the interview that uh, two days before we did this interview, James was in Montgomery because there was a bill affecting newspapers mm-hmm. um, and would have affected um, you know, some of the, the advertising uh, that we get, public notices and that kind of a thing. And our uh, our people down there in Montgomery did not like that, and there were some hearings and things. And so James went, and Connie apparently 
um, spoke up very loudly for the Daily Mountain Eagle and industries in general mm-hmm. um, because she knows what that means. Um, and, and again, as we talked about in the interview, she knows the importance of it because uh, she had a great relationship with James while she was at the Jasper Police Department, and that benefited her greatly when it came time to do things that weren't necessarily pleasant as part of as part of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they could have that conversation and say, "Hey, I got some really exciting news," or "Hey, something's about to go down, and I need to talk to you about it." Um, she knows what having a great relationship with uh, a local source and being able to get ahead of bad things means so mm-hmm. uh, so yes she she lobbies for her people very well which um you know that's your job in the mm-hmm. legislature to do so, things uh well I, I think uh you know james did as, as good as he could without me mm-hmm. but uh um, we're lucky you were here Jim, yes we don't we don't want him to have to do that too many more times he didn't add a whole lot to the conversation. He did to Connie. Well, the like end, you said but too. I mean, he was playing producer there a little bit too. Yeah, so playing producer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you want to move on? We promised the people some election coverage. Yeah. And as we sit here, we are um, beyond Super Tuesday. We are beyond what will be known as the Biden resurgence. So, and and let's preface this for the people that uh, inevitably won't care as much as I do. Uh, I'm such a dork for this, and I love these mm-hmm. days. And it's not even about, like, my guy versus their guy or who I like and who I don't like. Um, unbelievable day for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I who followed... Who was left for dead a while ago. His campaign was just atrocious until now, in my opinion. He just... And, and I, that's not a reflection of Joe Biden the man or the, the senator or the vice president or any of that. Just a campaign. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good one. And, uh, man, he... Did fantastic. At, at, at this point, he had ten out of the fourteen states mm-hmm. look like they're his, yeah. and so. uh, that's big. Uh, Texas was huge for him, mm-hmm. uh, and and I know a lot of people that are thinking of Texas. Oh, it's a red state. We're talking about the Democratic primary, right. the Democratic side of things. Uh, that's a very diverse group, a uh, very heavy in Hispanic population, and uh, Bernie Sanders does quite well in that crowd, and Joe went under and took Texas from him. So, so big picture, um, uh, Pete Buttigieg and I think Bernie uh, won Iowa. Pete won, but there it wasn't the normal it was, it was a situation. Tie. There was some craziness in Iowa. Hey, can um, we pause there for a moment? Sure. And I think we recorded me saying this. I predicted that Pete Buttigieg would win Iowa. Mm-hmm. Which he did, but he didn't become as they were trying to turn him into the, the new Obama, and, you know, Iowa kind of yep. launched Obama. It didn't really happen for him. He didn't make it to Super Tuesday. Um, we've lost a lot of candidates. Um, so between Nevada and Super Tuesday is when you saw uh, quite a few people dropping out, mm-hmm. which is how we arrived at the race as it seems now. Um, as we sit here, a lot of uh, several candidates are still in. Elizabeth Warren is still in. I uh, just um, dropped out today. Oh, she dropped out. Sure okay. did. She made it well, official. With something yeah. out, so she was talking to her staffers early this morning, so it started trickling out, and she's officially. So we're out down now. to Biden. Um, <laughs> You're down to Bi- uh, Bernie and Biden, and then um, Drew's <laughs> the, favorite, the evil villain from Marvel Tulsi movies, Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, is no still one just understands she's hanging out on the wing of the plane for some reason, uh-huh. trying to rip it apart. I don't. It's know. officially no one knows what she's doing out there. To but those she's there. two, <laughs> uh, no more Bloomberg, no yeah, more Steyer. It, no more. Well, and again, Amy dropped Amy's out. out. Yeah, uh, that's Pete. it. So we're down to you're two. Down, you're down to those. Two. And, and then on the other side, you know, Trump's an inevitable lock. I mm-hmm. think uh, 
Weld, was that his name? Yeah, he's on, he was on the ballot. He's on some ballots. Yeah. Uh, my wife was like, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't a know loser. who he I said, I don't know who he is. I know who he's not on this ballot. You know, like, <laughs> he's not the future president. <laughs> um, but you're you're down to the two on the other side. This is intriguing for me when we're talking about kind of trajectory of a party. We've talked a few times about parties moving a little bit. Uh, Bernie certainly has shifted the Democratic Party to the left. Uh, we talk about from 16 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, he has moved them. Um, mm-hmm. Single-handedly, this dude just started mm-hmm. moving this party. This uh, this primary is, is so intriguing to me because this is, hey, our is that party ready to kind of fully assume that or do they want to kind of stay in and that? Where are the establishment? That left the of center, moderate Democrat. And again, this is a hard thing to communicate in Walker County sometimes because we just put the letter next to the name and we brand you as the worst of that version. Joe Biden's a moderate Democrat. He's always been a moderate Democrat. He's barely to the left of center on almost everything. Right. And that's who he is. So this is a real competition of left of center. Uh, versus far left, and then I think if you were going to try to put Trump on that landscape, you're going to put him farther to the right. You know, he's not mm-hmm. going to be tucked up to center like right. a John McCain would have been. Um, so it, we see what the Republicans have declared mm-hmm. in 16. They want to go farther to the right. Do do the Democrats want to answer by going farther to the left, mm-hmm. or do they want to try to put that safe you know, air quotes, safe, moderate and there's some real candidate around that. On, the ba- and that's, on the ballot. That's why you saw, as candidates realized they weren't going to be able to reach that, that delegate count, you yeah. saw a lot of those moderates drop out to, trying to, to bolster give Biden, Biden mm-hmm. the burst. Biden, who had not had an exciting moment, had not, not, at all. not performed well in yeah. debates because they believe that Joe Biden is the best um, option to beat uh, Donald Trump, in and, and I'm curious about that logic because we know what right. the we know what the the goal is. They mm-hmm. want to be Donald Trump. That's the goal, right? Just like in in uh, what 2012, they mm-hmm. wanted to beat Barack Obama. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious. Is the left of center guy who there are some Republicans in the world that don't like Donald Trump and they don't mm-hmm. want to vote for Donald Trump, and they're considering voting for a Democrat this mm-hmm. time, even though I saw one of them um, actually quote, I can deal with uh, four years of bad policy. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with four more years of Donald Trump was right. his quote. So basically he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to vote for somebody that I don't agree with politically. Cause I think we need to change. Mm-hmm. So there's that group. Is it worth it to have the moderate and aim for that group? Mm-hmm. Or is it worth it to go with a guy like Bernie? And I see Bernie's strengths a lot like I see Donald Trump's strength. And what that is, is the core base of supporters is unwavering. Mm-hmm. They're never going to leave your side. They're right there following the man. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about your mistakes or your mishaps or what you're doing policy-wise. It's not even about that. It's I'm bought into this dude. Mm -hmm. Bernie has that too. He's got this little army of doom, just like Mm -hmm. Trump's got his army of doom on the other side. And I'm curious, is that more beneficial to try to defeat a Donald Trump? So political nerd Drew over here. I'm loving this because we just created this field with Biden and Bernie left where you're going to get to kind of observe the rest of the country because mm-hmm. how, how many states have voted so far? Roughly half or maybe a little less than half less at this point. Less than half, I think, still. You're going to see the other half of the country, the Democrat, right. pr- Democratic primary specifically, kind of decide that fate, which is it, it's intriguing for uh, me. But it must be said, just yesterday in, uh, I ran a political cartoon 
you started out with a very big field, a very diverse field. Um, and so on one side of the cartoon was people driving in the road, uh, Democrats, party of diversity. And then the other side was, which old white guy are you going to vote for? Uh, so that's a thing. <laughs> We're left with two old white guys that's to face thing. the other old white guy. A handful yeah. of women uh, with some people of color. And at the end of the day, people decided. Yeah. Give me old white guy. A woman or a person of color can't beat Donald Trump. Old white guys. That's the future. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. So just wanted to point that All out. All right. So that's our that's our national update. Mm-hmm. We better move on. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to old white guys out there, if any of y'all are listening. Well, I'm not sure you me, are our demographic. But <laughs> full disclosure, old white guys. I intend to be one of you one day. You're gonna I'm end just up not there, there yet. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking. I'm going to go way off the rails. I went and got my haircut today, and we were talking to the barbershop. My granddad's going in there to get his haircut a few times, and he always complains about his haircut, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love it. And uh, he, the, the barber said, "Well, I guess uh, I guess I finally did your, your granddad Annie at me back in a few months." And I said, "He's just wandering aimlessly around the world, mm-hmm. uh, around Walker County and wherever, because at his age, he's allowed to do it." Mm-hmm. And then I started reflecting on how fantastic is that phase of my life going to mm-hmm. be when I just get to aimlessly wander around Walker mm-hmm. County, just meeting folks and eating biscuits at places. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. See? I'm not trying to rush it. I no. wait. I'm patient. Yeah. But when the time comes, man, I'm going to live it up. I know. Can't wait. You remember from our Marsha Atkins episode, I said, I want to get to that age (laughs) where I can just say things and they'll just chalk it up to, well, Jennifer's lived a long time. All I have to do is follow it up with a blank stare off into space and you forgive me, right? Right. Because you're like, oh, he's old. Right. (laughs) That's amazing. Like, that's that's freedom. That's freedom. I can't wait. We're both looking forward to it. So we're back. We're back with a vengeance. We're here. Uh, we've already done a, a couple of more interviews that we know are coming. Um, we got into some serious topics, and we've had a lot of fun yeah. so far, and we've got more guests we're trying to line up. So um, I do want to give a, a shout-out, follow. Uh, obviously, you're listening to us uh, in your different podcast platforms. We have the Facebook page. Um, and I think uh, we need a Twitter. Yeah. Cause you got you got guys like me that only on mm-hmm. Facebook. Uh, but listener, so the next episode that I anticipate coming out, or possibly a couple of episodes, are listener requests, and that actually came in through the Facebook page. Ooh. So if um, if you guys have anybody that you think we need to talk to, or any particular topic, or something like that. Uh, reach us on the Facebook page, and, yeah. and obviously we take them seriously because we've gotten exactly one, and we did that one. So, Fantastic. So, uh, Give uh, us more ideas. Follow us on Facebook and let us know what you're liking and what you'd like us to do next. Uh, so I think I'll go ahead and tease our next episode will be that listener episode, and it involves Congressman Carl Elliott. So we'll see you next week with that episode. All right. See you guys. Left on Red is a DME Media Production. Copyright 2020, Daily Mountain Eagle.